Please open to John chapter 11. Thank you all. Good job. John chapter 11. We have been going through a series entitled Scandalous in which we are looking at the cross. The glories of the cross. It is the cross that gives us all that we know as Christians. All of our benefits. All of our blessings. Our reconciliation to God comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We looked the last two weeks in Revelation chapter 12. And we looked and we saw, number one, the rage of Satan. Remember we saw that Satan is after the woman of Revelation chapter 12. That represents the church. Satan has been kicked out of heaven. He is pursuing the church, trying to destroy the church with all of his energy, with all of his resources, with all of his might. And so we see the rage of Satan. And then last week we saw the victory, the victory that comes through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of our testimony. And so tonight we're going to look, we're going to be quick, but we're going to look at one of, one of the specific rages of Satan uh, in Revelation, I mean in John, I'm sorry, John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is a familiar passage. You have heard it preached often. Um, I've preached it before. We're going to be quicker because last time I preached John 11, we spent three or four weeks in it. So we're going to kind of float around in it, hit the high points uh, tonight. But it is the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. It's a story that reminds me of the difficult situations in life. Even in this room tonight, there are uh, countless difficult situations. Some of them we know about and some of them we don't know about. There are uh, nerves about doctor visits that are coming up or a loved one who got a bad news from uh, the doctor. There are some who are anxious about job circumstances. There are some who are going through relationship problems. And in all these things, we are reminded, we are reminded that Satan is working. I, I drive back and forth to the hospitals, to Good Shepherd, into Longview Regional every week, and I see what the enemy has brought into the world as our bodies are dying in our very midst. When we meet with marriage counseling, and it becomes obvious that Satan is working in a powerful, powerful way in a marriage. And you see a marriage that is being ripped apart in front of you and you see the victory of the enemy there's so many tragedies there's tragedies with cancer and with disease and with accidents and the, the tragedy of death that is all around us and the question becomes this it's been a question throughout history the question is we serve a God that's all-powerful that is all-loving but yet there are these terrible things that happen around us amen God's all-powerful, he's mighty, he is perfect, he is good. But even though we still live in a world that is full of tragedy, and it makes you question and it makes you say, why? In theological terms, it is the question of theodicy. God, if you are all-powerful, then why do you not intervene in this situation? It is the question that says, if a God could, then a God actually would. God, why is this happening? Have you ever said that in your life? You ever prayed and said, God, I don't understand it. Why is this happening? God, I am trying. I'm seeking you. I'm doing all that I know to do, but yet still my life is tough. 
Still, I'm going through a difficulty in my life. Have you ever had a time in your life where you prayed and you prayed and you prayed, but it seems like your prayers did not get past the ceiling? I think we've all been there before, haven't we? These questions that we, that we face, and we come to church and we talk about the power of faith and the power of prayer, and those are real things, those are biblical things, those are good things, but sometimes we've got to step back and we've got to realize that God does not always answer prayers in the way that we want. Sometimes we look at the world around us and it does not make sense. We cannot always give a happy church answer to the world around us. And I just want to tell you, that's okay. The Bible doesn't do that. In the Bible, in the Psalms especially, there are 65 Psalms that are Psalms of lament. They are Psalms of complaint. And they are Psalms of protest. They're Psalms of saying, God, I don't understand why this is happening. God, this does not make sense. And what that reminds us is that there is nothing that is out of bounds for God. There's nothing that is out of bounds or inappropriate for God. For some of us, what we need to start doing is just being honest with God. He knows where you are anyway, doesn't he? He's a sovereign God. He knows if you're angry. He knows if you're angry at him. Go ahead and tell him. Go ahead and tell him what you're thinking. Go ahead and tell him that you don't understand, that you don't get it, because that's exactly what we see in the Bible. So there are these areas, there are these issues in the world, and they make us say, God, I don't understand it. And I believe we see a picture of that in John chapter 11, and we get some insight out of it. If I had to give a summary statement for John chapter 11, it would be love, death, and the glory of God. Look at it with me. John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the Bible says that Lazarus, the one who is close to Jesus, has become sick. Obviously, it is a serious condition. There's something wrong with Lazarus. It reminds me of what we read in John chapter 9. The disciples had a question. They saw a man who was sick, and their question was this. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You remember that? Remember what Jesus responded? He said, neither this man nor his parents, but it's for the glory of God. Who sinned? And maybe you say, well, what did, what did Lazarus do wrong? Why is Lazarus going through this difficult place in his life? I just want to remind you that in the Bible, sickness and, and difficult circumstances, difficult situations, it does not always imply that God has rejected someone or that someone has done something wrong. The reality is we live in a sinful and a fallen world, and that's why bad things happen. It was not the plan of God. It was not a part of the original creation in Genesis 1 and 2, but it comes because there is sin in the world around us. Christians are not exempt. You and I are not exempt from difficulties in life. Lazarus was not exempt. Lazarus is one of the closest friends of Jesus. Lazarus is one who has spent meals sitting right beside Jesus. He has laughed with Jesus. He has had a good time with Jesus. But despite all of that, he still is going through a difficult time in his life. 
God can use difficulties in our lives to make us more like him. And then we keep reading. It says, skip to verse 3. It says, so the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. The first surprise I want to point out to you is that Jesus demonstrates his love through delay. He demonstrates his love through delay. It says, the sister sent to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love, he is sick. Jesus is out of town. Many believe he's around 20 miles from Bethany. And a messenger comes, and the wording is simply, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. You'll notice in the text, they do not even name Lazarus. Do you catch that? He's simply referred to as the one in which you love. And it's showing this relationship that Lazarus has with Jesus. Jesus gets this message, he gets this word, and the word is the one that you love, the one that you have a relationship with, the one that you care about, he is sick. Now let me show you one thing, and it will come back again in a little bit. The word for love here is the word phileo, okay? It is the Greek word that means brotherly love. It's a word that means brotherly affection. Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. That's where it comes from. Phileo is the word, and it means that the one that you have this brotherly love for is ill, and he is sick. Now, notice this. What the women do is the right thing. Amen? They're facing a difficulty, and what they do is they take it to Jesus. I've got this issue. That's what we ought to do. When we face a difficulty in life, the first place that we should turn is to turn and to take it to Jesus. And that's what they do. And you'll notice in the text, they don't, they don't tell Jesus to come, but yet that is what they imply, isn't it? Lord, the one whom you love is sick, and their expectation is that Jesus will return to Bethany as quickly as possible, and he will heal Lazarus. That's what they want him to do. That's what they are expecting, because that's what Jesus has already done. You see, when you look through the Bible, when someone comes to Jesus with a request, what does Jesus do? He answers the request. Now, there are times that he, he delays a little bit. There are times, uh, for example, when his mother, he's at the wedding, and they come, they say, Jesus, there's no more wine. What does Jesus say? My time has not yet come. And then they push a little bit further, and then Jesus goes through with the miracle. We see that he, he comes and he provides the miracle, and so they're expecting that Jesus will come to his friend Lazarus. He will heal Lazarus, and everything will be good in their life. But look at verse 4 and notice what Jesus had done. It says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He sent back a message, and it said the illness does not lead to death, but rather it's for the glory of God. And the schedule of events is this. On day one, the messenger comes to Jesus, and that's the very day that Lazarus dies. Day two, the messenger returns to Bethany. Day three, Jesus awaits and day four, Jesus will finally come back to Bethany. Can you imagine these sisters? Think about it for a moment. Can you imagine Mary and Martha as they are waiting for Jesus to come to the rescue? 
and they see the messenger come. And the messenger comes with a word from Jesus, and the word is simply this, this illness does not lead to death. And by this point, Lazarus is already dead. That's got to be a hard moment for these sisters. They've got to have a, a part in their heart where they are dismayed and they're disappointed. They don't feel the victory of the Lord in this moment. They feel the defeat. They feel the letdown. They have the questions in their heart. Jesus, why? Why did you not come quickly? Why did you not intervene? Why did you give these words that don't seem to make any sense right now? You're saying that it will not lead to death, but yet Lazarus is dead right now. What is going on? It's going to be for the glory of God. I don't see any glory in this moment. And so there's got to be a time in both of these sisters in this moment where their heart is broken and they are discouraged and they feel defeated. And that's okay. It goes on, and look at verse 5 and 6. I told you we got to move quickly. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. And then it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That has got to be one of the most interesting verses in the Bible. I looked at about 10 different translations, and all but about two of them used that word so. It says, because he loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, because of that, therefore he delayed two more days before he returned to Bethany. That seems backwards, doesn't it? I'm thinking in my heart, if he really loves Lazarus and Mary and Martha, he will not delay, but it says because he loved, that's exactly what he did, was he did delay. Now remember, in the first instance, we saw the word phileo for love, but it changes in this verse, and it uses the word agape. And this is talking about a divine love, a love that is not based on conditions, a love that is not based upon the recipient, a love that is totally unconditional. And so it says that Jesus loved with a divine love Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and because he loves them so much, he neglects returning for an additional two days. And the question is, why? Why does Jesus do the opposite of what we would expect him to do? He has the power, doesn't he? He has the authority. He has the strength. He has the might. But what leads him to this delay? I believe we see that he directs, number two, he consoles grief by directing the attention to himself. It goes back to that phrase talking about the glory of God. From the very beginning, he said, this is for the glory of God. Talking about mankind in Isaiah 43, verse 7, he says, whom I created for my glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We must realize that our existence is to bring glory to God. And he said this illness does not lead to death, but it is so that God may be glorified. And so how does this bring glory to God? How does this delay bring glory to God? Would you like to know why? Here's what it does. It ensures that Lazarus is totally dead. 
That's what it does. Lazarus is not kind of dead. Lazarus is not just a little bit dead. Lazarus is totally dead. The, the mindset in this Jewish culture was that when someone would die, the spirit would hover over the body for three days waiting for the opportunity that they might re-enter the body. There are some uh, writings that say they believed someone was dead and then they came back to life within a day or two days. And so they believed the spirit could come back in. What Jesus is doing is he is waiting to the point so that no one can say he wasn't really dead. He's waiting to the point so that no one can say it's any other means or methods except by the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And so what Jesus is anticipating, what he's going to do is use this tragedy, use this difficult situation and give God the glory and the honor from it. And I love it because that's what we see so often in the Bible. We see difficult times, we see tragedies, and we see through these tragedies, God works out in some incredible ways. Colossians 1.13 it says he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It says in Colossians 2, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all the trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here's another example of it. Through the death of Jesus, it looked like a grave tragedy. But what we see in Colossians is that this is what brought us the victory. Every sin that you've created, committed every sin that I've committed Colossians says was jotted down on a paper for a lot of us that's a lot of paper amen it's a big stack of sin it's a big stack of wrongdoings against God but it was not applied to our account instead it was nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ his blood was shed for us and it made all the difference in our life it came through what seemed to be a tragedy but God gets the glory and the honor from it and so we see that in this instance he waited he delayed so that glory might come. Now look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Jesus goes off with the disciples. They're waiting and it says, Then Jesus told them, he's talking to the disciples plainly, Lazarus has died and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. There's something else good that's going to come from this. The faith of the disciples is going to be strengthened. They're going to see the power of Jesus and their faith will be strengthened. The faith of Mary and Martha is going to be strengthened. They're going to see the power of Jesus. Here's the point. Catch this. If you don't get anything else, realize that God is working. Did you realize that? Even when you don't see it and when I don't see it, even when we look around and the world looks chaotic, even when we're honest and we say, God, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I feel like you're not listening to me, even in the midst of all of this, we must realize that God is working and God has a plan. 
God is working and there is going to be the strengthening of faith through the midst of these difficult situations. There are many times in life, anybody, you like to work on puzzles? I hate working on puzzles. It's the biggest waste of time I've ever seen. But my mother likes working on puzzles. And so we'll go next door. We live next door to the parents. That works out good sometimes, right? So we'll walk over, and she'll have this puzzle going, okay? And it's like a multi-thousand-piece puzzle. And she will devote hours and hours of her life to this stupid puzzle. But if you go and you, you pick up one piece, it's just a blue piece. You have no idea what it is. You don't realize because it's one piece, it's one color. You don't see the, the whole picture of this beautiful uh, uh, sunset sky, whatever the picture is. You don't see it in one piece of the puzzle. And in our life, what we see is one piece at a time. All we are is looking at the one present situation in front of us, but God is the master. He's the one that sees the whole picture in the entire context. So we've got to learn to trust him and let him work out the puzzle in our life realizing that if we just look one piece at a time it's never going to make sense to us and it probably won't be until heaven that the whole picture comes into process in our little minds and so they don't get it they don't see it look down to verse 21 here's what Martha said it's a good statement Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Lord, if you had been here, things would have been different. Jesus, had you been present, Jesus, had you come, when I asked you to come, things would be different. And I imagine there's a lot of regret with Martha and with Mary. I imagine there playing the the blame game maybe we should have sent for Jesus sooner you ever do that you look back maybe I should have done this maybe I should have sent word quicker then he would have come and then Lazarus would be okay but but notice what she's thinking Lord if you'd come sooner then he would have lived there's nothing in her mind that believes that Jesus will raise him from the dead you catch that it's too late now it's too far gone at this point, but if you had only come, he would be healed. And so what she's done is she has placed Jesus in a box. Jesus, you could have healed him, but I don't believe that you could raise him from the dead. Your power is not that big. Your power is big enough to heal, but not to raise him from the dead. I think it could be that for some of us, we place Jesus in a box and we pray about things, and we say, Lord, I think you could heal my marriage up to this point. I think you could save my job up to this point. I think you'd use me up to this point. But once it gets too far gone, there's no hope anymore. I think you could save my children up to this point. I think you could intervene up to this point. But now things have gotten so bad. Things have gotten so big. Things are so out of control. Maybe we believe that it's too big of an issue even for God to handle. He could have handled it when it was small, but now that is done away with. Broken relationship, an illness, a disease, a financial miracle. Listen, if God has, has given you uh, just something in your heart, 
Don't quit praying about that. Don't quit seeking him. God can handle it. If God's given you a dream in your life, don't think that God cannot use you in that massive way because he can. Don't put God in a box. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And then Jesus goes on. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I feel like that sometimes too, don't you? <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say that I can provide resurrection and life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He's not speaking of a distant resurrection. Eternal life and rescue are aspects of what it means to be associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. If this is true, if Jesus is the resurrection, then all who believe in him will be resurrected. If Jesus is life, then that means all that believe in him will experience this life eternal. And so even when there are times and there are difficulties that things are not worked out in this life, let me remind you, this life is not the end. There is an entire eternity in which everything will be made straight. And, and the sister comes and she thinks Jesus is speaking abstractly future the resurrection the resurrection that will come and yes that's what Jesus is talking about but in the case of Lazarus he's talking not about the future not about something that's abstract but he's talking about something that is going to happen right in the moment he says and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die and then he says do you believe this now listen that question's good for every one of us he says I'm the resurrection and the life do you believe this do you believe that Jesus offers this eternal life do you believe that if you put your faith and your hope and your trust in him if you live for him you will live with him for all of eternity do you believe that you believe it with all your heart that's the foundation of the scripture. He says, do you believe this to the sister? And I'm asking you, is this something that you believe? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Third thing, we're almost done. I promise the third thing is this. Jesus confronts death with tears and with outrage. Jesus confronts death with tears and outrage. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord Jesus, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. You'll notice in these words, you see the emotion. Jesus saw the weeping. He saw the crowds weeping. And then it says he was deeply moved and his spirit was greatly troubled. He sees the, the scene, he sees Mary and Martha, and he sees that their heart is broken, and they are weeping, and they are sobbing, and the tears are flowing. And then, in this day, they would actually pay professional weepers. I know it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? But they would pay individuals, and they would come, and they would, they would well, and they would cry, and they would try to make a scene, and it would just turn into this this situation where there was mourning and there was weeping. So all this is happening and Jesus is moved in his spirit and the Bible says he becomes 
he becomes angry. What do you think that Jesus is angry about? He's not angry at Mary and Martha. He does not condemn their weeping. Listen, it's okay to weep. It's okay to cry. It's okay to, to show emotions. That that's not what he's angry about. What is it that Jesus is angry about? Here's what I think it is. I think Jesus is angry because he looks around and he sees the heartbreak. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. I don't think he's, he's angry. He's weeping. Jesus is crying because of Lazarus. He sees the pain in these sisters. And he realizes that is the work of Satan. For the wages of sin is death. It is sin that brings death into the world. And, and Jesus is thinking, this was not the way this was supposed to be. There's not supposed to be death and disease, and illness, and sickness. And so it's one of those examples <coughs> where you see the effects of Satan in the world around us. And Jesus sees it, and his, his spirit is moved, and he becomes angry. He becomes angry at the enemy. I get like that. Do you get like that? You get angry when you see terrible things around us? I got a call last, last Thursday. Um, and Mr. C.D. Hospice had been called in, and uh, it looked like he was not going to make it much longer. It was about 2.30 or so, and so I got the phone call. I immediately went to Summer Meadows. By the time I got there, he had already passed away. And so I was there with Rick and his wife, Pat, came about 15 minutes later. And they had been married for 60 years, and so she came in, and uh, first time she had seen him laying there dead and she comes in you can see the tears rolling down her cheeks and she grabs his face and you can just imagine all the memories of that long happy marriage you can see the heartbreak in it and in that moment it moves you it moves you emotionally but what it ought to do also is make us angry at the enemy it is because of the enemy that we have death around us jesus is angry but then what we see jesus does is he weeps he begins to cry. He has these emotions. He feels the pain. He experiences the difficulty, and he begins to weep. He weeps over the frailty of life. He weeps over the sorrow, the sorrow of having to bring Lazarus back to this earth. He weeps for the people who were grieving over the death of loved ones. He's weeping over the effects of sin in the world around us. Then verse 38 says, then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, uh, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And while he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Oh, can you just imagine that? Can you imagine the man who has been dead for four days and he comes back to life? Had to be an incredible moment. Let's look at one more thing. Let's keep going. Last thing I want you to see is Jesus defeats death by dying. Read the following passage. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary 
and had seen what he did, they believed in him. But some of, them, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish highlight that circle that he's speaking in prophetic language that he does not even realize one man will die and he will die in the place of the nations he did not say this of his own accord but being high priest that year he prophesied that jesus would die for the nation and not for the nation only but also to gather into one the children of god who were scattered abroad so that that day on they made plans to put him to death. Here's the last thing I want you to see. It is the chaos around us. And we see it in John 11 by the death of Lazarus. And the way that Jesus defeats death is by dying. This is the miracle that pushed them. It says from this moment on, they looked for the opportunity to kill Jesus. They killed Jesus because they wanted to stop Jesus. Satan was behind this. The rage of Satan was working. Let's bring an end to Jesus. Let's destroy Jesus. But they worked right into the plans and into the hand of God. And God brought the most great news out of the most terrible situation. And that, my friends, is the power of the God that we serve. And so let me just remind you of this. God is in control. He's in control of your life, and he is in control of my life. Let me ask you to bow your head, and I want you to think about it. Maybe you're facing a situation this evening that has you confused. Maybe you're facing a situation, and it does not make sense. Maybe you feel like Mary and Martha, and you feel let down. You feel dismayed, and you feel discouraged. Maybe you feel like it's too far gone and you feel like there is no hope left. And I just want to remind you that the God that we serve is bigger than all those things. The God that we serve is bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your anxieties. The God that we serve is bigger than anything that we can face in life. He is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? Do you put your faith in that? Jesus gains the victory. And by believing and trusting in him, we too will live in victory. And so I want to give you just a moment to pray for your life, any struggles that you have. Give you a moment to take those to the Lord. Realize the power that he has. Realize the authority at his disposal. He brought Lazarus from the dead. Don't think there's anything in your life that he cannot do because he can.